3CR listeners, this is Stinky from Liquor Snatch, and I'd like to invite you to tune into 3CR on the 8th of March for our special 24 hour broadcast of Women's Voices in celebration of International Women's Day from midnight to midnight, right here on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital, or streaming live worldwide at 3cr.org.au. 
Happy International Women's Day from Stinky and Liquor Snatch. 3CR's feminism is revolutionary. Right, girls are right. Hi all, that's right. It's International Women's Day and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio 855am. Um, there's lots to be said on this particular day. Um, but first, just wanted to say that um, our project, Queering the Air's project, We Weren't Born Yesterday, um, has done its first round of airing um, on 3CR and it will be rebroadcasted on Joy. That's right, Leah? Yeah, it's going to be rebroadcast uh, starting this Monday night on Joy. Uh, so Mondays at seven for the next four weeks um, on Joy. And yesterday during their uh, Mardi Gras um, outside broadcast, special outside broadcast, um, they broadcast a few excerpts from our shows, and that was also awesome. simulcast on SBS three. Um, yeah, so that's pretty exciting. So you'll be able to, if you missed it, you can hear it over there, or you can um, listen to it online uh, and download the podcasts. Yep, and you can listen to it at three cr.org.au and just look for Querying the Air, and the podcast will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so first up, um, Leah's going to do a news read. So Leah, you want to take Yeah, it? sure. <laughs> so this is, you know, pretty uh, selective. It's just a few different stories about what's been happening for GLBTIQ women in the last year since International Women's Day 2014. So it's mm. definitely not exhaustive in any way. It's just the selection of stories that I remember from the last year. And thank you mm. to Star Observer, ExoJane, HuffPost, and quite a lot of other uh, news outlets um, for, their, uh, for their coverage and, and commentary as well. So, um, of course, in last year in uh, June there was World... Uh, there was the uh, AIDS conference that um, was in Melbourne and the first time it was in uh, Melbourne and that was huge and we did quite a lot of coverage um, of that event less the um the sort of the science uh and medical side of it but a lot the uh community activist side of the event which was really amazing um and you can find uh some of the some of that content um podcast on the querying the air page um and a lot of other 3cr programs uh covered that as well so um there was some really amazing uh creative and uh, community sort of activist work um, that was presented uh, at the conference around uh, how HIV AIDS impacts uh, women in particular and uh, LGBTI women. Um, A little bit later in the year, in September, uh, Padmini Prakash became the first trans person in India to anchor a daily TV news show, which is pretty exciting. Mm. and what that, kind of TV show was that? It was a uh, it was the seven pm news on a channel called Lotus, which is a Tamil language channel in Tamil Nadu. Um, but yeah, that's daily seven pm news, so that's like you know prime time, yeah. everyone tuning in kind of news program. Uh, so good. So that's pretty amazing. Um, in Brazil, in September, a, a class of high school students all wore skirts for a day to support their trans classmate, 17-year-old Maria Muniz, uh, who was fined for wearing a skirt and forced to wear trousers. Uh, So I saw that reported in the Star Observer. I thought that was just pretty great as an example of, you know, high school students who weren't necessarily sort of um, politically active, just like coming out and supporting uh, their friend and and classmate um, against transphobic um, policy at their school. Really kind of... I guess, like, local-level activism, which is great. Um, 
Yeah, and so was this a high school? Or? Yeah, it was a high school. So I'm, I'm guessing if she's 17, that mm. probably last couple of years of yeah. of high school. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, pretty nice. Um, and I've been seeing yeah a lot of actions like that that are just you know yeah I guess people supporting uh people in their lives mm. um and I guess because of you know things getting shared on social media now sometimes you hear about it um but even if it's not it's just you know someone doing something um that doesn't take heaps of organizing like probably can be really spontaneous and yeah and um, just like a, because of social media it's just like at a click of a button that you can organize something yeah totally organized. uh but even without it yeah you could just do that with your friends and mm. um and just a you know a quick response doesn't you don't need any like experience to do something like that mm. um but it's still you know like a, a quite visible thing totally mm. Um, just a bit of a random cute story. A ninety-year-old <laughs> lesbian couple was married in Iowa. Oh, that's right. Um, that yes, yes, yeah, I loved it. Um, uh, they, uh, I don't have their first names yet. Oh, sorry, but Boyak of, and Dubas, and they were ninety-one was, and ninety. Oh, was one of them from Vogue or like? Oh. Maybe no, uh, maybe this is another ninety-year-old lesbian oh, couple. Okay. Wow. Okay, um, I just love this story because they'd been together for seventy years, <laughs> and um, they got married at First Christian Church in Davenport in Iowa. Um, mm. But what I loved was the photo where they're wearing like both wearing pastel suits, one oh, in kind of like a yeah. I think a lemony color and a kind of um, peachy color, mm. um, and they match their um, electric mobility scooters. Yeah. I was like, oh, that is some beautiful coordination. Yeah. And while, you know, marriage isn't like marriage equality isn't um, maybe like my highest priority. This was mm. just gorgeous and so cute. And all of the people, um, I think it's from, they were in a fairly small town in Iowa. Um, but yeah, just seeing all of these people um, in the community uh, support these two old women yeah, really nice. Really cool. Yeah, I just remember who I was thinking of. Um, Angelina Jolie's ex-girlfriend. Oh yes, she's yeah. not ninety, but oh, she's yes. not ninety, but yeah, no, no but no, she's pretty great. Really yeah, Jenny Shimizu. Yeah. yeah, she married her <laughs> partner. Um, yeah, there was that amazing photo shoot from that wedding. Mm, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we need like a bridal, bridal reporter. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> bridal yeah. fashion. Yeah, they were in like they did a photo shoot and they were in like matching houndstooth and um, color block and mm. it was amazing. <laughs> yeah uh heavy hitting news right here uh yeah then then a little bit uh some less cheerful news uh probably the biggest story in australia that i remember from the last year affecting jlbti women mm. was the murder of 27 year old mayang prasadyo who was really brutally killed in Brisbane by her partner, uh, Marcus Volk. Mm -hmm. And um, on top of, you know, I guess this uh, domestic violence death that uh, was really horrific, um, the Courier-Mail also reported uh, her murder in a really transphobic and anti-sex worker way, um, Mm. both in the language that they used and just sensationalising the story, the selection of images they use, the fact that there were, like, you know, maybe 15 photos or something, like all of these photos um, yeah. of her, uh, you know, that, yeah. Um, they were very graphic. Yeah, and just just um, sort of really highlighting, you know, even though this was 
uh, her being killed by her partner, mm. um, just really highlighting uh, that uh, she was a, a sex worker, um, mm. which wasn't really relevant to the death, but I guess yeah. also sensationalising that um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just covering it in a really disrespectful way mm. um, with a lot of sort of, um, yeah, personal information about her and... Um, uh and yeah this really awful headline um but people did really respond to that and more than 27,000 people signed the petition calling for the courier mail to apologize mm. um which they did uh and a lot of other um a lot of other uh parts of the press um also commented on it there were articles in in pretty much i think everywhere in australia yeah. um uh, sort of following that, and I'm not sure if uh, any sort of professional standards in journalism have been changed as a result, but there's definitely um, some more awareness, I hope, of how um, badly uh, that was covered. And um, and Did it, I think were they quite defensive? Um, um, I think that they didn't respond for a while, and then the headline changed, and then I think eventually an apology came out, <clears> but <throat> like. Uh, it was when I looked at the petition just yesterday. There were twenty seven thousand signatures on it, but I think mm. most of those, like something like twenty thousand people, signed it within, you know, like two days. Yeah. Um. So it was like you know definitely, um. And you know I'm sure that then I guess the the Murdoch Press and the Courier Mail will continue to sensationalise stories because, yeah. um. Because that sort of is their tactic, but uh. But hopefully there is an awareness, even if not, you know, every news outlet will suddenly be respectful. Um, I think that there is a growing awareness of um, the fact that audiences will react and that people do have a problem with that and that, you Mm. know, um, yeah, sort of, you know, people expect for um, murder especially, but, you know, any acts of violence, especially Mm. um, partner violence, to be covered in a way that is sensitive. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, a little bit of good news. In November, in Malaysia, uh, the federal court overturned Negeri Sembilan... Sorry, um, overturned Sharia law in Negeri Sembilan, which prohibited Muslim men from uh, cross-dressing, which obviously has has been used to persecute trans women because they're not recognised under the law. Uh, So, um, and it actually isn't really, yeah, I mean, it's been used to persecute trans women regardless of what they're wearing and how they look and where they are. And even uh, there was a raid in of, you know, a private party. It was actually a wedding. Mm. Yeah. so, yeah, because the federal court has ruled it unconstitutional discrimination, hopefully that will open the path for similar laws in other states in Malaysia to be overturned as well. And, um, yeah, Querying the Air has actually covered this case from when it first started, and it's been uh, trans women and, and their allies and, uh, you know, advocacy groups and, and uh, I guess, feminist groups like Sisters in Islam and mm. such in Malaysia have been fighting this for a long time. So this... You know, I think we did an interview uh, with one of the activists maybe two years ago now. <laughs> but also I remember we uh, – yeah, we I was part of organising a fundraiser in Melbourne for Justice for Sisters now mm. probably more than three years ago. So this yeah. 
Yeah. This has been it's fought, yeah, and it's yeah. gone through yeah. a lot of courts and appeals and I'm not that familiar with what the legal structure and situation is, but, mm. um, yeah, hopefully it will uh, it will grow to, to change that in other states. Um, and it is complicated because, yeah, it is, it is um, Sharia law, uh, so it's... Um, so it doesn't affect uh, everyone, but um, but yeah, there, there's definitely a growing awareness and movement there uh, as well, and and a lot of um, different groups have joined to be part of that movement, which is mm. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. In December, uh, the European Court of Justice, the highest court in the European Union ruled that tests designed to prove the gayness of, asyl- of asylum seekers were unlawful. So it's no longer mm. permitted uh, in the EU to ask asylum applicants invasive questions about their sexual experience. Um, oh, wow. So that's just um, that was just passed in the EU in December. So. Yeah, but I, like, I'm not sure you mm. know, what impact that has on each country. Um, yeah. But what was reported, and again, this was from the Star Observer that I got this, mm. was that um, you know, this was following the denial of three, men's, three gay men's applications for asylum in the Netherlands um, on the basis that evidence proving their sexualities was not compelling enough. Um, and so now security checks – oh, sorry, now sexuality checks have to abide – by the European Charter on Human Rights and respect applicants' private and family lives. But the reason I brought mm. this up is because we'll come back later to, you know, the story of the last few days in the UK. Yeah. Um, so we'll come back to that because, yeah, mm. I, I mean, I don't really understand how this law – well, this um, in the U- Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, anyway, it was it was a step, a, a positive step. Um, mm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Another another piece of good news, uh, in January, 35-year-old independent Madhu Baikina was the first openly trans candidate to be elected a mayor in India, mm. which is pretty cool. And um, actually, uh, she wasn't the first person to stand and win. It's actually that trans women in India have won mayoral elections in the past, but um, the yeah. results were declared void because at the time their gender wasn't recognised by authorities. Okay, yeah. So people have actually, mm. you know, like stood for and won elections and then, yeah, and then wow. you know, had that voided, So, um, which is pretty awful. Um, but, yeah, so that's, that's cool that that's happening. Cool. Um, and quite a lot of news in February. Uh, but the new draft of the Thai constitution proposes to include provisions of a third gender. Mm. Um, so the decision to legalise that constitution will be due in August 2015. Um, but, yeah, then, it, you know, if that is adopted, that would be the same as uh, as what's already been passed a few years ago now in Nepal in India, um, which, you know, I guess not, not everyone... Uh, would want to be classified, like categorized As into a third, third gender. gender. Yeah, yeah, but it does mean um, it does. It, it, it would come with uh, of quite a few legal protections that yeah. don't exist presently, mm. um, and also, I guess, for the purposes of like census and you know, yeah. um, I guess, just having sociological data to show how how many people are affected by um, transphobic. Uh, laws and policies and stuff it is probably useful um in that regard but yeah i mean of course it's um i guess it's just a stepping stone really um but it's also um yeah like i guess in the series that we were exploring we weren't going to say like there's 
all different kinds of vocabulary for different cultures in terms of being like GLBTIQ um, and yeah I, I'm not I'm not familiar with the Thai language um, but yeah perhaps like this is it'd be interesting to I guess hear it in like a, I guess in a Thai framework that's right so yeah like the yeah. the Katoi um, term in Thailand and mm-hmm. Hidra and other terms that exist in um, India and Nepal they have a really long history and they definitely yeah. you know they have a long mm-hmm. I suppose cultural tradition that predates um, like a a you know global but also often Western understanding mm-hmm. of um, of gender and and I suppose transgenders. So, um, I mean, also all of those societies are you know multicultural and multi ethnic and yeah. have have a lot of different cultural traditions going on, but also have yeah, you know yeah. I suppose yeah I, people who um, would be trans but not fit into that traditional sort of cultural uh, third gender space so yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I guess it, it is it is a you know complicated to negotiate but I mean of course any like LGBTI um, I suppose organizational politics is always representing like a coalition of really different experiences yeah. so yeah. maybe it's no different to that but yeah definitely not everyone fits into the same the same um, model. Yeah, the same model, the yeah. same identity or the same history, even, in, in, even mm. you know, people in the same country. So, yeah. 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 Um, but, yeah, it, it, is, uh, it is interesting to see that that, that might happen uh, in another country. Mm. Um, another thing that happened in February locally was on the 19th and 20th of February in Wollongong, <coughs> there was uh, the Cultured Queer, Queering Culture, Indigenous Perspectives on Queerness conference at University of Wollongong. Oh, yep. Yeah, yep. which yeah. I which went to and it was amazing. <laughs> it was really, really amazing, actually. And uh, it was the first conference in wow. Australia that brought together academics, artists and writers from Australia, Aotearoa, Canada and the United States mm. to talk specifically about queerness. And um, amazing. Yeah, and mm. also what I found was that the presentations, I've only been to a couple of... I've only been to sort of one academic conference and a couple of other academic things before. Mm-hmm. But what I found really remarkable was that um, all of the pres- presentations were really, uh, um, I guess, almost yeah, intimate and creative and just very beautiful and nothing – yeah, there was nothing that was sort of dry or mm. um, I guess very – like even though, you know, some, some of the discussion was uh, – kind of based on quite complex intellectual concepts it wasn't didn't seem sort of very technical yeah Yeah. and it wasn't um it wasn't uh I guess there wasn't this separation of like what someone researches and who they are and what they want in their life that like sometimes I find um that can definitely happen yeah yeah sometimes things are so abstracted and yeah yeah and not applied to um like a particular community or like how it's Mm. yeah applied in real life yeah, 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 everyone's, um, you know, uh, work just, yeah, was was explored in this way that made it really um, not only accessible, but I guess you felt like you got really deep into mm. into it. And were, um, um, were the presentations, like, um, quite um, multi, I guess, multidisciplinary? Yeah, definitely, mm. yeah. And there's um, 
I think that there might be a, a journal, a special issue of a journal coming out about this, but um, also you can hear interviews with um, all of the presenters on ABC Radio National's Away uh, with Daniel Browning. Mm. Um, so look up Away, which is A-W-A-Y-E and Queering Culture, um, if you want to hear some of the stuff there. Um yeah, there was also yeah, there were a couple of workshops on the second day and they were um they were uh you know how often people call something a workshop but it's actually a seminar and you're just like sitting and listening. This was yeah. really like a workshop. You had to really, oh. you know, you had to put in a lot of yourself to participate, which I thought was really extraordinary especially at you mm. know, at an event at a university, I suppose, where what I'm was the used to like? Um, I'm actually not sure. The mm. first day it was in a lecture theatre and there were probably a few more people. Mm. And then the second day maybe like 20 in the, for the for the workshop space. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how many on the, th- on the first day, maybe like um, six. I, no, I'm yeah, terrible, yeah, yeah. At, terrible yeah. at guessing numbers, but yeah. Um, yeah, so it was a real like it was It was amazing. Workshop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, some more news for for the year so for for 2015 so far um so back to the thing on the eu i'm not sure you know how how yeah what the impact of that has been because just very recently uh in march the home office of the uk was has has been um reported for relying on highly offensive and outdated views of sexuality, mm. rejecting an asylum claim made by a Nigerian lesbian, um, Adoronke Apata, um, who has actually been in Britain since 2004 and won awards for gay rights campaigning. And she actually submitted a DVD and photographs of her sex life as evidence, mm. um, you know, because of the kind of policies or the, the sort of que- line of questioning, I suppose, um, that has been part of the asylum process there. Um, but she's, she has, she has children and the home secretary's barrister, Andrew Bird, um, argued that she, um, quote, was not part of the social group known as lesbians, though she had quote, indulged in same sex activity. And he Mm -hmm. said, um, you know, because she's had relationships with men in the past. And she he actually said, um, quote, you can't be a heterosexual one day and a lesbian the next day just as you can't change your race, um, which I thought was extraordinarily ignorant. Um, yeah. But also has there's been, you know, similar things um, said by members of the Refugee Review Tribunal in Australia, just mm. a com- like a really um, intense biphobia um, or just by ignorance, I suppose, yeah. which... Yeah. Uh, which seems like baffling that that I mean you know it's it's a bit unsurprising that that exists but for that to be articulated um, you know by a government official while defending policy and a and a asylum judgment just seems incredible and um, you know uh, Miss Apata fears imprisonment and death because of her sexuality but also I think you know because of um, all of this amazing activism that she's been doing, like she's, you know, definitely quite a public figure. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if there's been any, um, more progress on that because it has been getting a lot of news. It's been reported quite widely, but, um, yeah, I thought that was pretty awful. Uh, but hopefully, you know, there is more, you know, even from press that's, I guess, quite right wing, I think there is an awareness of that being, um, 
you know, a very questionable decision. So hopefully the processes yeah. will improve in all of these countries uh, that are rejecting asylum seeker claims on the basis of um, sexual orientation and gender ident- yeah. identity, but for mm. really ridiculous reasons and, and, um, and being very invasive. Um, and I guess the, the other thing I wanted to mention uh, was that uh, in the US there have been a wave of murders of trans women and trans feminine people yeah. um, in the year so far and sort of late last year as well, uh, and the majority of victims have been women of colour, mm, including yeah. Lamia Beard, Ty Underwood, Yasmin Vashpain, uh, Taya De- Dezus, um, Penny Proud, Brie Golek, Christina Gomez-Reinwald, and Samaya Dalmar, um, which has been really horrific to, to just see this sort of constant, like, yeah. Um, Rise in numbers of... Yeah, and and just um, but yeah, one article I found really interesting and moving um, mm. uh, was was not a report, but but a sort of a personal article um, responding to to this spate of uh, murders, and it's by Kai Chen Tom in Exo Jane. It's on the first of March, twenty fifteen. If you want mm. to look for it. Um, it's called someone. Someone tell me that I'll live. And uh, uh, yeah, I think yeah, I that one. yeah. It talks about how the coverage of these murders can quote consume and exploit the narrative of the doomed trans woman, mm. and increase a sense of dread for trans women who are living. Um, and yeah, I think that that article is really worthwhile for thinking about how I guess how yeah. we frame yeah how, how we media frame frames these stories yeah and yeah. we we as media we as well, yeah, being as well, yeah. being media uh here yeah. just hanging out being media but yeah how how we think about reporting I guess um especially murder and suicide mm. um mm. and uh. You know, it being important to to cover and report on those things and not not let them go unnoticed, but also thinking about yeah, creating this sort of or, um, or like perpetuating and like I yeah guess this, that there is a future that yeah there is totally a future for trans people in, in yeah that that um that I guess that people aren't just um, remembered when they're dead yeah and yeah. also that um yeah that we don't contribute to this narrative of of you know, you're doomed. Um, so yeah, I thought that article was really interesting. Uh, and the thing I thought I would finish on in this little news Mm -hmm. roundup is, uh, P flag China, um, parents and friends of lesbians and gays, uh, in China has been really growing quite rapidly. I think, I don't know if it's the biggest, like, Mm -hmm. um, kind of queer related organization, uh, in China, but I suspect it might be. They had a huge conference last year, which was their sixth conference. Mm. Um, but they also released a video for Chinese New Year, well, for Lunar New Year, sorry, um, this year, which mm-hmm. was on February 19, mm. um, called Coming Home, which is <laughs> it's very sentimental but kind of sweet. You know, it's 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 pretty like, you know, um, yeah, sort of like gay man is really scared and um, comes out to his parents and they react really badly and sort of he's – uh, cut off from them, but then they they call him back. Um, uh, they call him back wow, uh, yeah. for for Chinese New Year. It's very <laughs> sentimental, but it's quite sweet as well. Um, Are we going to hear the clip? But anyway, yeah. So I thought we could play a clip from that. It cool. is in Chinese. I apologize, yeah. but um, but it's at the end of the video. So the video is like very 
melodramatic, right? Yeah, like it's it's I can you imagine. know like, it's like one of those Chinese soap dramas. Totally like that, yeah. soap opera. <laughs> it starts with like firecrackers. There's all these like family portraits, <laughs> and you know, of course, like um, young people in China now, uh, or people our age, I suppose, people in their twenties and thirties mm. are. Um, are all only well mostly only children uh, due to the one child policy so I think that really um, kind of makes everyone's relationships with I mean families you know already really important in Chinese culture but I think it also makes um, can kind of heighten the tension or something in mm. people's relationships with their parents because you you're bearing kind of the whole responsibility for your generation yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that yeah, that's interesting. And uh, so the the little clip that I've got uh, is from the end of that video, and um, and it is in Chinese, but it's basically uh, all of these. I think they're all women, actually. I think they're all mothers, but it's yeah. it's all um, parents. But I think maybe all mothers of um, you know who are part of P Flag China, um, both you know with messages telling parents to tell their kids to come home, tell their queer kids to come home for the holidays. <laughs> um, and also tell, telling kids, you know, to, um, yeah, to not be scared to, to speak to their families about their lives and their, their relationships. Um, but anyway, so if you awesome. want to play that, yep. uh, that's, uh, yeah, year, happy year of the goat. Hope that yep, it's a good one and that, you know, you have a prosperous year. Yeah. Um, pleasurable fulfilling prosperous exciting joyful year yeah okay here's the clip
Is something worrying you? Need someone to talk to? Having trouble at work or at home? Call WIRE Women's Information on 1300 134 130 Monday to Friday 9am to 5pm. Talk to a woman who cares. It's free and confidential Victoria-wide. You can talk to us about anything. You can also talk to us in your own language through our telephone interpreter service. So call WIRE on 1300 134 130 or visit wire.org.au. WIRE is a 3CR supporter. Hi, I'm Tristan Taramino and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR. everyone, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio. Um, it's International Women's Day today. And just letting you all know that Queering the Air, oh, sorry, not Queering the Air, 3CR is having a big party um, to celebrate International Women's Day. And it's starting now up until 9pm, something like that, till late at night. There's a range of performances um, and Leah will be performing as well, uh, which is pretty cool. Leah, do you want to say something about that? Uh, yeah, I'm just doing a couple of poems. Should be pretty relaxed. I think I'm on uh, At first. 4.15, so it says yep. here. I think they're running a bit behind. But, um, yeah, come down. It's a free party. There'll be performances and lots of food. Um, so, yeah, just come down to 3CR, um, 21 Smith Street, uh, Fitzroy. It's at the back of the building if you... Like, come down the side street and it's just at the back. Yeah, awesome. Um, so... On Friday, um, I went to um, a symposium that um, my friend who works at Footscray Community Arts, Rani, um, held. It was called Women Politics Arts Symposium. And it was basically um, a symposium about um, Rani um, holding a series of workshops with um, City, City College, some six young girls, high school girls at City College, about feminism. And... Um, it consisted of a report back as well as um, performances and a small workshop as well. Um, I think there were about maybe 50 people there and there were six high school girls there from the school. So it was really amazing to see the performances and just see the kind of work that um, Rani was doing with these girls because uh, Rani's background is in theatre. So, um, yeah, I think she was quite supportive of um, the young girls' performing um so we're just going to hear an interview and um a snippet of the performances um that um yeah that were at the symposium fantastic okay rani um so first question um how did this project come together um, so this, uh, the International, uh, sorry, International Women's Day Women Art and Politics Symposium for 2015 came directly out of the 2014 one. So a lot of the people that attended last year were um, uh, had long-term involvement with FCAC, Footscray Community Arts Centre, and so they were they tended to be older women, um, and they wanted to hear the voices of younger women. So um, we applied for a grant from the Victorian Women's Trust, um, Essie Burbage Subfund, and we got it to bring myself on board as an associate producer, and to work with uh, it turned out uh, six young women from Footscray City College to uh, to make sure that they are part of this conversation this year. Mm. 
Yeah. And how did um how did you find these young girls? Did they volunteer or did you do a call out? So I had a connection with one of the teachers, Emily Antoine, at um, Footscray City College, and she was very supportive of the project from the get go. And she said, um, "I'll run out the run up." Sorry. And Emily suggested, how about these young women who are already quite outspoken and I think they need a space to voice some of their concerns, some of their experiences, which they're not getting anywhere else. So then she, um, she introduced me to six young women and they've stayed through the program the whole time. Yeah. yeah. And um, how would the workshops be conducted? Um, look, I just made it up. <laughs> but... It made me really realise how um, both my background as a social worker as well as an, uh, an artist, uh, a performing artist, um, were useful because essentially I put together the resources that helped me in my journey going from girlhood to womanhood. So they were quite nerdy things, you know, spoken word videos I watch over and over again, including um, one by Yellow Rage, an Asian-American duo, um, uh, an indigenous poet, Romaine Morton, um, and then we also looked at gender construction through comics, and they were comics that I loved already, you know, so Alison Bechtel's uh, Dykes to Watch Out For, and Nori May Welby's Unpublished, um, A Day in the Life of a Spansexual Sex Worker, and um, feminist websites that I loved reading as a teenager because I found them to be like more reflective of my experiences growing up rather than you know whatever glitzy images you might get in a regular teenage magazine. So um, basically, I would start with um, physical warm-ups like warming up as an actor um, to focus the group and then we would start exploring these resources we basically sit down together in a circle and then I ask the girls to if they felt safe to do so share what personal what personal responses they had to the material we were looking at and very quickly um, these young women were very brave and opened up you know um, very sometimes sensitive experiences that they've been through but for me running the workshops it made me realize ah. Oh, this is a space that's really needed, um, not just um, uh, for, like, especially, I think, for young women in schools. Somehow, there needs to be this safe space where we can talk about things that are really fucked up, that happen to everyone, you know, um, sensitive things like sexual harassment, like sexual assault, like um, sexism. We need to be able to talk about them. So, yeah, that's something that I've really um, gained from running these workshops. Yeah, and, you know, meeting these young women has been really amazing and um, them sharing their stories as well. And and you did mention, as well as the teacher who picked them, that they're quite outspoken already. Um, Do you feel like you'd want to work with... um, other younger women who are less outspoken? Yeah, that was definitely something that um, I thought about. And I also want to work with more culturally diverse young women as well and eventually with um, young boys and men. Um, But, you know, this is a pilot project. I had uh, a total of 10 hours with these young women so I'm pretty happy with where it's at so the next step is definitely that kind of making sure that we also target the young women who maybe aren't um, who maybe don't have the vocabulary yet to talk about these issues so yes I am aware of that yeah yeah Yeah. cool and um, yeah how do you feel the symposium went today I was really happy with it. I was really happy with the turnout. We sold out really quickly. Um, there were up to 70 people here today from a variety of sectors, um, some long-time um, feminist activists, um, people who work in government, people who work in community. Um, and also, I'm just really, I'm really, really proud of the young women who shared their stories today, as, as you heard, Tan Hang. Like, they're very personal stories. It takes guts to do that. 
And then there was even one young woman who wasn't even going to get up on stage, and she did today, and that nearly moved me to tears because <laughs> that's a really big deal. Um, so I was really happy with the vibe in the room. When we broke off into small group discussions, I could tell that people were having in-depth discussions um, that were really shaped by the key questions that the young women came up with themselves. So I was really, really happy with that. Hi everyone, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Um, I just thought I'd let everyone know that um, that the next performances you're going to hear from the symposium contain um, swearing as well as um, um, stories of sexual uh, assault and rape. So if you're sensitive to that, please be aware that that's going to be played in the next five minutes. I have a thing about body hair. Not anyone else's. I'm an extreme advocate for fucking with society's standards when it comes to women and their silken locks, no matter where on their body. But when it comes to myself, I digress. I despise my dark, long and thick body hair, and so I remove it. Shaving, professional waxing, home waxing, you name it. Often, people laugh when they spot my smooth arms, when my back breaks out in rash from sensitivity to wax. Why would you do that is, the apparently, is apparently the obvious question to be asked. Because now I am shamed for both keeping my body hair and getting rid of it. I can't seem to win. So I tell them that I just don't like it, and I don't. But my hatred of, hatred of and need to rid of insignificant hair is not an opinion I magically formed on my own as a small child. It unfortunately stems from an internalised misogyny of sorts. And the reason I despise it so is that at a young age, I was conditioned by society to feel ashamed of my body hair. Multitudes of people have told me since as young as eight that you should really shave that off. Excessive amounts of hair on one's body is something that society inherently links with masculinity. And since I was young, I've always felt masculine, too stocky, too loud, too bossy, too hairy, too much. And as society has taught women, they must be the opposite of a man. A man is strong and a man is confident. A man who bosses everyone around is taking rightful control, being powerful, asserting his masculinity. Therefore, a woman must be soft, fragile, quiet, unassuming, and most of all, obedient. For quite a few years now, I've attempted to conform to the aforementioned idea of femininity. For so long, I've tried to be quiet, not eat so much, stop taking up so much space, get rid of my body hair, anything I can do to disassociate myself from appearing masculine. But I've come to understand fully that there is nothing wrong with having hairy arms or a round body or being empowered or standing up for myself. Society's gender identity ideals and what they conform to are bullshit, unrealistic and damaging, especially when pushed upon impressionable children. Any individual is able to dress, act and identify themselves in any manner they please. Because really, if they're not hurting anyone, it's no one's fucking business. <laughs> Maddie Hardy. Please welcome Maddie. She's going to do a poem for us today. Hi, everyone. 
As she stated, my name is Maddie Hardy, not to be confused with Maddie or Maddie or Maddie or Maddie, but sorry, there's a lot. <laughs> anyway, here is a poll that I've spent a bit of time on and I'm really sort of caring towards it. Why is it I'm always scared? Why do I have difficulty in trust? Why can't I let someone feel close to me? Why do I have anxiety over sitting next to strangers on the bus? Why do I wake up in fevered sweats after dreams that burn my flesh? Why do I avoid the bus driver? I know that he regrets. But after all is said and done, I'm still haunted by the memory. It happened four years ago, but to me it feels like centuries. My life continued after that day. I have so many other stories, but I keep thinking back to that file, the one that holds the video where I constantly cry from things so vile. That file contains everything. Thing, my entire trauma. It just sits there in a drawer next to hundreds of others. People like me who feel constantly covered in a layer of filth. People like me who have felt abused. I didn't tell anyone when it happened. I didn't report it. If it weren't for the girl on the seat across from mine, it never would have come to surface. To her, I'm eternally grateful, though I'll never know her name. But her anonymous image will forever sit in my Hall of Fame. She was there the entire time, though we never saw each other. She was there at the court. I can remember her silhouette from behind the fogged glass. We never went to trial. His mental disability stopped that. But that's not the case for the hundreds of others right next to my file. They sit in a small box and look across at their monster's smile. While having to constantly relive their trauma, going into details, they touched me here, they felt me there. They told me to be quiet. Being asked to repeat themselves. May the, court may, may the court please be reminded. Being called liars so that that scum can avoid confinement. Three, one in three women and one in six men, they will sit there. One in three women and one in six men will never be the same. Why Gender is a group for trans and genderqueer questioning young people and friends. Why Gender runs social events and have monthly meetings in the city. Check us out on Facebook or see ygender.com for more info. Ygender.com This is Nikki from Global Intifada on 3CR. Everyday women and women musicians from all over the world are killed, tortured, persecuted, imprisoned and forced underground or into exile for having the conviction to stand up against their oppressors. And at 3CR on International Women's Day, we won't forget them. So join the resistance on International Women's Day, March 8th on 3CR Radio, 855am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. It's International Women's Day and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Um, so just the performances we heard, um, um, for anyone who um, was triggered by the content itself, we, we do recommend that you contact CASA, um, um, which is the Centre for um, Sexual Assault in Victoria, and the number for the Sexual Assault Crisis Line is one 800 Eight zero six two nine two. Again, it's one eight hundred eight zero six two nine two. Um, yeah. So the symposium. I think 
you know, um, attending that, it was really amazing to see there were there were high school girls from year 10 up until year 12. Um, yeah, and so I, I was really amazed that, um, yeah, just spending ten, only 10 hours with... Um, with Rani, that they were able to to get up there and perform, and yeah, I don't I don't remember being that kind of, I guess, being able to do that in my in, in year ten or year twelve. Or, yeah, yeah, that was really incredible writing and and performance, and to think that that was created, you know, in that process. Mm. Um, like I'm assuming they they'd sort of had those stories for sort of been holding on to those stories for a while but um even having you know even having written something having the uh, the courage to share it in you know a room full of people at Footscray Community Arts Centre is really amazing yeah and a lot of the audience members were much older um I guess feminists like like in the I can't tell exactly what age but definitely between like 30s and up until like 60s as well Mm. so it was really great to see lots of older people and younger people kind of um, interacting with each other and talking about what feminism means to them. And um, yeah, there was a there was a bit where we broke up into workshops and we each had a question to discuss and then we would report back to everyone. And um, the group I was in, we discussed how we, can we make schools safer. And it was a really interesting discussion. And we even talked about like um, you know just even going to see. One of the young girls was like, you know, if, when I go to see the counsellor at school, everyone knows that I'm going to miss my period. And then when I come back, um, they ask, oh, where were you? And things like that. And there's, like, no sense of privacy if if you do go yeah. see a counsellor because it's obvious that you're missing class. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I guess we in that discussion we also talked about, um, like, digital safety and... Um, how much schools, um, like the approach that schools take to them, and it seems like their school in particular um, um, still aren't, you know, aren't very um, open to taking it seriously, mm-hmm. or they think it's just like a very surface level thing, or even even addressing things like sexual assault and rape, um, it's still not taken as seriously in schools or. Yeah, the way that teachers talk about it or try to engage with it. Um, but that's just what I—that's what I got from the symposium. So, um, yeah, right. That's a really important conversation to have. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So that's it from us. Um, I'm going to play one more song, and the song's called "Freedom" by King Avril. Um, yeah, and if you can come down to 3CR Studios today, um, there'll be a party from now until the evening, so there'll be lots of great performances, so come visit us. Awesome. Thank you. Happy International Women's Day. Yeah, happy International Women's Day. I kissed a man 
And uh, today is International Women's Day, and uh, we're at the we're at the process of uh, having a an event at 3CR. And if you wanted to come down, you'd be quite welcome. I'll put you across to what's going on there. 